Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the weekly foreign affairs podcast that asks... What else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. So when you think about our major defense contractors, you probably think of, you know, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, General Dynamics, and many others clustered around Washington in, you know, suburban Maryland, northern Virginia. You see them on the side of the highway there. You don't necessarily think of Silicon Valley. That's in part by default. All of those aforementioned companies have have monopolized government contracts for national defense, but it's also by design. There's long been an uneasy relationship between left-leaning Silicon Valley and the more hawkish elements within the Pentagon that has led to a firewall of sorts between the two. And as a result, some of the most innovative technology might not be making it to our military. That's a really scary thought. And at least one tech leader says that that has to change or we will be way behind our competitors and our enemies. According to an exclusive new interview with Lara Seligman uh, at Foreign Affairs, uh, Foreign Policy Magazine, rather, Palmer Lucky, the founder of virtual reality headset company Oculus VR, he believes the U.S. Defense Department can win over Silicon Valley and should start by betting on smaller startups like his, presumably. This makes him an outlier, to say the least. Here to discuss this with me is Palmer Lucky. Welcome and thanks for coming on to Weekend Warriors. Of course. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's start with this divide between Silicon Valley and defense. What's at its root? What what caused this sort of rift? So I, I think, actually, before we can even do that, you have to realize that a lot of this divide is invented a little bit. That is, most people in Silicon Valley, I think if you talk to the average person, do actually want the U.S. to have the best military technology. They don't want it to be Russia. They don't want it to be China. They don't want those countries to be the ones that are leading the way on cutting-edge technology, certainly with their track record and how they've shown they're willing to use that technology. Uh, The problem that you have is that there are, I guess, I, I believe that it is a radical minority inside of Silicon Valley that is very vocally anti-defense. And not just anti-defense, but I think any they're against any agency that is using force. They, they equate use of force with inherently bad, or even the potential use of force as inherently bad. And that's why you see a lot of anti-police sentiment in Silicon Valley. You see a lot of anti-military sentiment in Silicon Valley. It's really a fairly small group of people that is very good at being loud. And then that normally is not really a problem in most companies. The problem in Silicon Valley is that these companies index so highly on what their employees are saying about they're doing, what their employees are saying, what their employee complaints are, that they are willing to do things that are bad for the country and bad for their shareholders 
if it is keeping that vocal minority inside of their company happy. And I, I think that is the biggest root of the problem, is bending to people mm. who have opinions that they didn't get into with reason or facts. It's just you know, re- reactionary knee-jerking against any kind of new technology going to our military. And I think another part of it is, and this is a little ironic given the Valley's reputation for being a high-tech place, I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley who work with technology in advertising, in ad optimization, in social media, and all of those things, they are really, really concerned about the ethical implications of that technology being used in the military. The and, and I think that those ethical concerns are reasonable, but they come to the wrong conclusion. They kind of think the right way to handle artificial intelligence when it comes to the military is to take the Amish approach, mm. technological abstinence, which is not a good way to run a military. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a little akin to being like, oh, I, you know, I don't like, I, I think police go after the wrong people sometimes, which you know, I could agree with. But the conclusion should not be, therefore, we should take away their shoes so they can't chase anybody. Mm. Uh, we, we can't do the same thing with our military. We can't, we can't uh, be worried about the ethical implications of them having better technology uh, and solve them by saying, well, they just won't have any technology. Well, and we're going to get to all the reasons why, a- a- as well as whether this is merely ethical or also political in a mm-hmm. second. But let me give some examples of what we're kind of talking about here. In June, mm-hmm. Google opted out of a contract bid for the project Maven, the Pentagon's artificial intelligence program, That's right. saying Google should not be in the business of war. Uh, Microsoft and Salesforce, to your point about employees, those employees protested their own company's contracts with ICE, for example, and Amazon employees mm-hmm. demanded it stop selling facial recognition software to police departments. Um, so mm-hmm. talk about your desire, because you founded uh, a, a company with a, a bit of a different mindset. Uh, talk about your desire to bridge the gap between, quote, a group of people who want to do it and can't and a group of people who can but won't. Sure. Well, I mean, that's, that is the problem in a nutshell that I saw when I started this company. You have a lot of companies that want to work on defense. So the people you talked about earlier, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, Boeing, uh, and they want to work on defense, and they do work on defense, but they don't have the technology or the tools or the talent to build cutting-edge artificial intelligence, autonomous weapons. Uh, they don't have the talent technology. that Silicon Valley has in your in your view. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's the and Silicon Valley has the ability to create these things. I know I've been there. I've hired in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, I, I I know the people that are there. But they, they have the talent, but they don't have the desire or the will to work on these problems. And so instead, you have these people who are the most brilliant technologists in America working on ad optimization, facial recognition for social media. Uh, there are some, of course, very, really, very interesting and important things, especially in agriculture technology and medical technology. But by and large, a lot of these people are working on things that aren't going to make a big difference in terms of making the average Americans, Americans' lives better. And a lot of people would like to work on these defense problems. So mm-hmm. when I started this company, I wanted to make a place where those people who are in the Valley, in technology, could come and work on the problems that they're not going to be able to work on at most of these other big technology companies. Uh, and that company is Andoral Industries, yeah? That's right. You founded in 2017. Um, You've noted before, I found this interesting, there have been no new defense companies worth more than a billion dollars since the end of the Cold War. 
What does that say to you about sort of the economics of private sector defense? Well, part of it is something you touched on earlier, which is that these companies that are you know, leading the defense industry, uh, they, they are really well suited to operating in the space. They understand the red tape. They understand how to get into the industry. Uh, and the biggest problem is that you don't have many success stories of new companies coming together and being able to sell a lot to the government. I mean, the only two examples that are kind of close are Palantir and SpaceX. And neither, you know, not, neither of those are really in the mold of a Boeing or a Lockheed, Lockheed right. Martin. Um, so your prescription I, is that instead of spending a little money on a plethora of experimental pilot programs that maybe never get off the ground, the U.S. government should invest a lot of money on a small number of breakthrough technologies. I think that that is oftentimes the right approach. I'm not saying we shouldn't do speculative R&D or mm-hmm. blue sky R&D efforts, um, or even that we should take a ton of money and just dump it onto these companies. I think the the idea here is that right now the Department of Defense is very, very good at doing pilot programs, at doing in, you know basically innovation showcase pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they're not good at is taking that technology and turning it into production technology and actually getting it out into the battlefield. And so I think that the DOD needs to focus their efforts a little bit on on a few of these things that they think are the most important and actually get some of these things deployed out into the field, because that, that's something that they just have not done a great job of doing over, over the last decade. And people should know, you know, if you're reluctant, uh, you know, to embrace these technologies, you say our, our adversaries, namely China and Russia, they're already advancing them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, China and Russia have huge programs in artificial intelligence. China using their massive population base as a way to train their AI algorithms to be better than anything that the U.S. has in many cases. Uh, Russia, actually, there's there was a great quote from Vladimir Putin where he was speaking to people trying to get them to pursue a career in technology. And his quote, he was talking about artificial intelligence, and he said, he who wins in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. Now, Putin is not saying that because he believes he's saying it from a position of weakness. He believes he's saying it from a position of strength. He sees artificial intelligence and autonomous weapons as a way for Russia to literally rule the world, and he wants to be in that position. Uh, and so you kind of have this deep understanding of the importance of this technology at the highest levels of the Chinese government, the highest levels of the Russian government. Meanwhile, most of the effort in on artificial intelligence in the United States is focused around commercial applications. And while those might be good for our economy, they're not going to keep us safe when Russia or China suddenly leapfrog us in military capabilities. You also point to the hypocrisy in some of the corporate positioning in Silicon Valley on these contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, Google, for example, refusing to work with the U.S. military, but, but Google's helped China develop these technologies, um, despite China's human rights abuses. Oh, absolutely. I mean, China has hundreds of thousands of religious minorities locked up in concentration camps, being forced to renounce their faith and re-recite communist propaganda. I mean, like this is not you, you would think that we settled this the last time around that a major country was throwing minorities in concentration camps. But instead, you have these companies that see China as a business opportunity 
far above any concerns about them aiding and abetting a fascist regime in oppressing its own people and potentially oppressing the rest of the world. And I don't think that history is going to look kindly on that. I think that when you have companies like Google setting up AI research labs in China that are essentially part of the Chinese civil military fusion strategy uh, and transferring that technology over there, training a lot of their people in the most advanced technology, that's not something that we are going to look back on look fondly back on in in a couple decades. I want to turn to um, the politics of Silicon Valley. You you know Facebook Mm -hmm. from the inside. Facebook acquired Oculus uh, $3 billion. I've been to Facebook. I've met with Facebook leaders to discuss the wall between conservatives in particular and tech. And I've argued to them that, look, conservatives and Silicon Valley not only need each other, but on so many issues are natural allies from regulation to privacy. There's just multiple Mm -hmm. convergence lines, but there's so much distrust. What are your thoughts? (laughs) Well, I have to be kind of careful in in how I handle this for a variety of reasons. But I think that the biggest problem in Silicon Valley around politics is not so much even conservatism versus, you know, it's, it's not conservatives versus liberals. It's more about these broadly accepted ideas that you cannot challenge because they're seen as almost like a religion. People don't reason themselves into their positions. They choose their positions based on what everyone around them is saying. And even if they disagree, they will never, ever say it. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in the Valley. I'm not saying that everyone in the Valley needs to, you know, uh, have have a come-to-Jesus moment and become a strong conservative. I, I wouldn't want that to happen. But I do think that people need to learn to accept other ideas and assume that just because someone believes in, let's say, fiscal responsibility uh, or in non-interventionism, that doesn't make them a terrible person. That doesn't make them a horrible person that has absolutely nothing to contribute to the conversation. I think that's a very common problem in the Valley, not just at the big tech companies, Mm. but maybe even more so at the small tech companies. Does the group think in general? There is definitely a religion of Silicon Valley, a church of Silicon Valley, and contradicting its tenets uh, you know, people aren't looking to debate these things. They're, mm-hmm. they, they, they take some of these tenets as just set in stone, you know, immovable, inarguable. And that's, that is not good for innovative thinking. So have you found any allies inside this administration? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the interesting things about defense is that maybe 10 or 20 years ago, we would have had a much harder time. I think uh, coming off the end of the Cold War, a lot of people saw the major defense contractors as the saviors of America, the people who saved us from the communists. They built this huge technological advantage, and that, that was a pretty fair assessment. Uh, these days, if you ask almost anybody, whether they're a congressman, someone in the administration, or even a person off the street, hey, do you think that we are getting good value for our dollar in the defense industry. Most people agree we're spending too much, we're not getting enough, we're falling behind. And for that to be a mainstream opinion uh, makes it a lot easier for us to come in and say, look, we want to build better technology. We want to build it cheaper. Yeah. And also, like the, the, our, the approach for our company has been that we're a product company. We're not going to the government with a blueprint and saying, hey, government, you know, here's this thing, pay for the R&D, pay for the development, mm. pay for each for, you know, for each unit and then pay for all the maintenance and service. And so we're saying, hey, we're going to use our own money to develop technology, prove that it works, and then you only have to buy it mm-hmm. if it actually works. So it takes a lot of the risk off of taxpayers, and that has made our job a lot easier on Capitol Hill. 
Palmer Lucky, thanks so much for this illuminating conversation. I really appreciate you joining me today. <laughs> I have one more thing to say. Go ahead. Um, I, one of the craziest things about the defense industry, and we talked a little bit about, about this earlier, how there haven't been very many success stories. The only kind of success stories of companies that have worked with the government and achieved a multi-billion dollar valuation in the last few dec- decades on top of that, like I said earlier, are basically Palantir and SpaceX. And one thing that Palantir and SpaceX have in common is that they were both founded by billionaires. Hmm. And I think it is really telling that right now, the only way it seems to build a major defense contractor is to start out with at least a billion dollars. And we need to change the system so that that isn't the case. Like in my case, I'm very blessed with success. And that's why I wanted to pursue this is because I knew that a lot of people couldn't possibly get into it. But we need to change the system so that other companies, small companies that don't have huge success, uh, you know, pushing at their backs, are able to contribute their technology and their talent and their innovation to the U.S. Department of Defense. And that's that's something that we're trying to do that's beyond even our own company, because I think it's really critical for our national security. You can check out a foreign policy's interview with Palmer Lucky by Lara Seligman in Foreign Policy Magazine or online at foreignpolicy.com. That's it for us. Join us next time for another installment of Weekend Warriors and SE Cup. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.